Booney, thank you for a time of intercession. Um, I have been convicted, uh, even as we were praying then, uh, thinking about uh, the one street that, one cul-de-sac and then one street that exits our community. And even this morning I was thinking as I was driving out, uh, thinking about seeing the people, um, and they're not out stirring about on Sunday mornings. Um, most of them, in all likelihood, are still sleeping and doing whatever folks do who are not worshiping. Um, but I want to thank Booney for the intercession because God used that to bring conviction to my heart to somehow, in a practical way, I must, I'm not going to say, I just must find a way uh, to make a connection with the men and women and boys and girls uh, there. If what we say we believe is true and we really do believe it, we have to, as a body, but I'm not even talking about institutionally do this. We have to, as a body and as individuals, accept the responsibility that we have in being given the gift of salvation. We have to accept the responsibility and the care and the direction for those who are around us. If what you just prayed, Booney, is true, and I believe that it is, that God has sovereignly ordained us to be where we are, living on the streets that we live on, beside the people that we live on, interacting with the people that are around us. And if we're not interacting with them, then I am reminded that I am to interact with them. Um, but uh, thank you. I I'm sorry for that being so heavy, but it just weighed on me because we can pray that God would grant us boldness and he will um, but it uh, is very much a real a real thing that we have to do uh, we're going to find even now over the course of this week and next week that faith is an active is is, is an is an active ongoing work uh, it is something that is happening and taking place in our lives uh, day after day and we're going to find that out again here in just a moment uh, before we look at our text, and you can be turning there, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, I, we're going to be in 11, but I want us to back up in verse 26 of chapter 10. We read it just a moment ago for our confession, but I want us to look at it in just a moment again in connection with our text. But as you're turning there, I don't do this often, but I do want to make mention of this. Uh, we have prayed this morning and interceded in a direction that is what we do as a church body. But we also have some things that are going on that are connected with our church body uh, that uh, I believe right now would be a good time for us to make mention of. Um, we, have, uh, we have a connection. Our church body does have a connection with other churches and other pastors in the area. Some of you may know Jim Hershenhan, uh, who pastored over at Grace uh, for well over 25 years. I've known him for 51 years myself and I'm only 60 years old I I met him when I was nine years old uh, uh, Pastor Hershenhan's wife Miss Jean passed away this past week 
Um, we have a, a man, probably there has been no other individual in Wilmington that has influenced as many people uh, as he has through his leadership and ministry, through the ministries of Grace Baptist Church, but also through Wilmington Christian Academy. I was thinking about that, and Miss Jean was instrumental in that. Would you pray for him as he walks through this time? We have another friend of ours connected with us from Scotts Hill, uh, Lou Iandoli. Uh, Kathy, his wife, passed away this past week. Uh, and if you would uh, remember uh, Lou uh, and their and their family as they walk through this time. Uh, it is not an easy time. I visited with Bill and Brenda Barker Friday afternoon. Bill has uh, not been feeling well, has had some CAT scans done. Everything points to the fact that he has cancer. Uh, so if you will pray for Bill and Brenda uh, over the course of these next days as they work through the process of of trying to determine what, in fact, it is that uh, he is dealing with. And then I'm going to make mention of this, and we don't, we don't mention this uh, often. Um, in fact, seldom do we mention this. This week is a particularly important week for the Southern Baptist Convention. And I know that we have a, uh, a, a connection in that we support the International Mission Board. But even apart from that, this is the uh, largest denomination uh, in the United States. And it is in turmoil. And this week's meeting as a convention meets in Nashville uh, will very likely be a, a, a just a very, uh, a very significant time in the life of that denomination and in the churches that support the various ministries. So we have been partners with them. Many of us have been partners with them. Uh, in various ways for a good number of years. And while we have not always agreed at every point, there have not been things along the way that we were not working toward that, we, that led us to a place to where we did not feel that we could continue to partner with them in the various areas of ministry that we sought were important. Thus, our participation and our support of the International Mission Board. Um, Things are going on in the life of our denomination and the life of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, that very well could cause churches uh, to separate and to part and to begin finding other ways to partner to do gospel work. Um, I just encourage you because we are concerned about the church at large. You know we pray here for churches and we pray here for churches in our times of intercession that are, that are not Baptist churches. You, you know that. And we understand that God is working through churches and denominations. Um, but we do need to pray for this particular group of churches and its leadership over the course of these next days. Uh, in asking for wisdom and deep conviction that is based not upon their feelings, but upon God's Word and the truth of His Word. And I'll leave it at that. You can follow along online over the course of this week. But I will also say this, and this, we have mentioned this, and I mentioned in this context, what takes place over the course of the next few days 
could have bearing even on us, a small congregation here, but a whole lot of other small congregations scattered out um, can make a difference in their ability and our ability to continue to partner with uh, the churches that we partner with in doing ministry. And I make mention of that. Hopefully you found your places through the course of all of that. Uh, that was not so profound that you couldn't find your place in Scripture. Uh, we are at an interesting place in this letter. Uh, a letter, book of Hebrews, this epistle that was written to a group of Jewish believers. Uh, and so far we have given attention to about two-thirds of this letter. Uh, I actually totaled up the verses, okay? There are 301 verses of Scripture. I didn't start counting words. But there are 301 what we know of as verses. And understand when this letter was given, it was just given like a letter. I, when I write letters, they may be things that I write and things that I say tend to be long and they may be needed chapters and verses, I don't know. But uh, it was a letter. It was just an ongoing letter. They sat down and they read it to the body. And they read it. But uh, 301 verses, and we have looked at about 208 of those verses. So about two-thirds of it. And these verses that we have looked at, the first 10 chapters, if you will, the author has sought to encourage and exhort the church to continue on in faith. That's already been mentioned here this morning. To continue in faith, to persevere in the challenges associated with their stated belief to not abandon their hope, to not turn back to Judaism, but rather to hold on to the promises of the new covenant. We read this morning already in our call to worship, uh, and Adam brought to our attention the fact that there are all kinds of circumstances in the midst of our lives and all of these play a part in our life. And yet we come before God with an understanding, at least as believers, that faith plays a role and a part in all that we do. And it should not be abandoned. In fact, I would argue that if it is being abandoned, uh, it is not biblical faith. And we'll look at that. But he's been clear that the old covenant, while helpful primarily in pointing to this new covenant that has been given, could not provide forgiveness of sin. It couldn't provide reconciliation with God. It could not perfect the conscience of sinful man. And therefore, it was unable to provide eternal life. Now, let me insert here that fundamental to our created purpose is that we, meaning men and women, the only creation that was created in the image of God, that our created purpose rests in glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. It's been stated by those before us, but that is exactly what Scripture says. The old covenant was not sufficient to do the redemptive work necessary to overcome the effects of the fall of Adam in the garden. It couldn't do it. No, Adam's fall left humanity separated from God. Which I think a beautiful symbol of that is his, his expulsion from the garden. 
was another sign that you are separated from God in His fullness and in His goodness that you have been cast out of the garden. And you see, the sacrifices of the Old Covenant were insufficient to make atonement for the people's sins. We've already looked at that this morning and heard that. That is it in Christ, in Christ alone. And the sufficiency of His atonement that enables us to be reconciled to God and to be forgiven. But not only was it insufficient at that level, even their representatives in the priesthood were at best only offered limited access to God, which meant that their access, the people's access, was limited. But however, in the New Covenant, they had a great high priest who made possible the eternal access to God. Think about that a moment. Eternal access before God. And he was able to do this because he offered himself as the perfect sacrifice to make atonement, as we have heard, once and for all for the sin of those who would believe. Now that word believe is an important word. And he was able to do this because he was God and he was man. Just go back and think through our catechisms over the course of the last weeks about why we needed a Redeemer who the Redeemer was, why He had to be man, why He had to be God, and how did that redemption come about? Well, the preacher in Hebrews also has done what every faithful messenger of the gospel does, and I mean this, okay? And this isn't to to elevate anybody here, it's just simply to say that every week we give attention to the fact that we are desperately in need of a Savior because of our sin. And this preacher does that. He pointed them to the severity of sin and the judgment that should be expected should the provisions of the new covenant be rejected. And just so we're clear, we need to understand it. The preacher wasn't talking about a mingling of two covenants. He wasn't talking about a waffling effort. He wasn't talking... Uh, about uh, any kind of infidelity in this faith. No, he was talking about fidelity in faith to the end. Okay? Fidelity of faith to the end. And that's how he concluded chapter 10. Uh, And it would have been natural, mind you. We're going to give attention to chapter 11, but I want you to just, for, for just fun's sake, okay, for just a moment, Let's read the letter from where we ended in chapter 10 as if chapter 11 wasn't there. Okay? So let's just look at that for just a moment. Look in verse 39. But we are, of chapter 10, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Turn to chapter 12. Therefore, And this forget this next phrase, because that is all predicated on there being a chapter 11. Therefore, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's a slick, smooth transition, isn't it? 
we could read it without chapter 11 there. But it wasn't given to them that way. The Holy Spirit felt the need to work through the human author to write this portion of the letter that we know of as chapter 11. A text that we know of as the Hall of Faith. And so this morning I want us to give attention to parts of the first six verses. And we'll look at the rest of it next week. But hopefully some of you here having studied this text before will just hear things that you've heard before. And there may be folks who haven't heard it. But I have found for myself just as I stated a moment ago, as we came out of our intercession, was convicted over things that I have heard over and over and over again. But the hearing of the truth for a believer is good. The hearing of the truth of an unbeliever is good. So let's consider our text this morning. So let's back up in chapter 10 and verse 26 because... Oftentimes, chapter 11 is talked about and taught and dealt with in a couple of different ways. Most often, completely out of its context. And it doesn't, I've heard it out of its context, but not change its meaning. But I've also heard chapter 11 dealt with more moralistically than I believe the author ever intended. Because he is communicating something that is absolutely necessary for us. And that is, is that we need to look at those who have gone before us. And in doing so, be reminded that even in the course of our lives, we are going before others. Okay, I want you to hear that again. We'll hear it next week particularly. We need to look at the lives of those who have gone before us for encouragement to emulate. The scripture tells us that. With the understanding that as we do that, we are going before others. So I'm looking here, and we have a lot of our children here, but we have a lot who are out. But those children and their children and their children will look back at us as well. Because not only do I see these here in the Hall of Faith, I think of individuals that I know who have played a significant role in my life. And it is only because they have walked through it faithfully that I can now look back on them as they have emulated and shown me and set an example for me as I walk. Let's look at chapter 10 and verse 26 just a moment. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. 
it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Skip down, if you will, to verse 47. Yet a little while, 37, and yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Make note of that. My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So we hear, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And just before that we heard these words. And the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. You see by now the recipients of this letter may be wondering. After all that they have heard in all these exhortations. For 208 verses. For two thirds of a letter. And they are not even to the end of the letter. They are probably wondering do I have this faith? How can I know that I have it? What is this faith? And these, in fact, are reasonable questions. Questions that maybe some of us here today may have. Certainly, if we understand and believe, as we have already heard from Hebrews, that this is the Word of God, and that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Then we've also fallen under the piercing effect of this word, and we as well have been exposed in some ways. I know that I have. I've heard testimony from some of you that along the way through Hebrews, you have been challenged in various ways regarding your belief and your faith. And I want you to know that that's a good thing. Maybe it has its exposed areas in which the fidelity of your faith has been brought into question resulting in some, maybe even warranted, doubts concerning your spiritual well-being. 
you know, all along the way, we've sought to encourage you not to live in fear. In fact, we, uh, I think we have all the pastors have had an opportunity to speak to that in some way uh, through the course of our services. But I know that three times particularly, I've encouraged you, don't be fearful. Don't walk in fear. I've sought to encourage you not to doubt, but to trust and to rest in Jesus Christ. But we have come to the point in this letter, as did its original audience and all the audiences since, where we are forced to ask, what is this faith and do I have it? And I think that that is exactly what the Holy Spirit intended, was to cause the people to confront and center with what it is that ultimately pleases God. Because notice what we hear there. We saw it just a moment ago in verse 37. Yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. Speaking of the coming of Christ. Pointing to the day that has already been mentioned by the author of Hebrews. A day of judgment. A day when Christ will return. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And so the question is asked, what is faith? And so he answers. Let me say, like many of you, I've had this verse of Scripture memorized for a long time. Uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. I can tell you when I memorized it. I memorized it when I was in the fourth grade. I memorized it from the authorized version. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Just rolls off my tongue. I've rehearsed that verse of Scripture over the course of the last uh, 50 years, uh, and it rolls off easily. But I can tell you this, that over the course of the last two weeks, as I've been looking at this text and working with it and praying over it, I have wrestled with its meaning. What's the definition of faith? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Boom. That's it. And over the course of the last several weeks, uh, it, has, it has been an agony for me. And, and I kept saying, there has to be more to it. I went back and I have read men of the past. I have read those who are our contemporaries now, folks that I have trusted and I continue to trust to see if they can offer me some kind of insight into this text. And I was left dry. Left dry with them. And then I remembered something that I stated and I have been reminded of is that the Holy Spirit never prompts a serious question for his image bearers, that he does not also grant a straight and sufficient answer. He always does. So if the question is being prompted by the Holy Spirit, what is faith? And he gives the definition of faith. I have to assume that that is enough. That that's enough. So what is faith and I came back to it well the Holy Spirit has answered the question 
It, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is, well, what is faith? Well, the Holy Spirit defined it. It's the substance we read, the assurance of things hoped for. We read, I learned the evidence of, we read the conviction of things not seen. So let's see if we can understand a little bit of this. That word translated substance or assurance is the word hypostasis. Now, I, I know we don't normally get into word studies here, but I think it's important. Not, not, I'm not doing it just for something to fill time. It's important. It means under foundation. So let's go back and look at that verse again. Now, faith is the assurance or substance of things hoped for. In other words, it is the it, it, faith undergirds that foundationally. It is the foundation for things hoped for. So faith is the foundation of things hoped for. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense because... I thought faith was just kind of a blind trust in something. And you're saying, no, it's not a blind trust in something. It is a foundation. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the Holy Spirit is saying that it is the foundation for the very things that are hoped for. It can be translated, we already see, kind of in an objective and a subjective way. Objectively, it is substance. Subjectively, it brings assurance. And both ways are right. And both ways are bound together. Now the author used this word already a couple of times. Now, for those of you who have done any kind of public speaking, for those of you who have done any writing, you know that words are important. Words are used oftentimes in the beginning of an address that will be used later on in an address with the understanding that you are hopeful that folks will make the connection. It will be a specific word that is used that resurfaces that ultimately leads to the communication of that which is important. This is one of those words. Let's look at the places that he used this word. The same word. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 1. We started back there, in fact, we started back there 20 weeks ago. A little over 20 weeks. We're in our 20th week in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Now catch all of this whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his hypostasis. The exact imprint of his nature. Same word. Okay? Same word. The exact hypostasis of God. Bring that back forward. Faith 
is the hypostasis of things hoped for. In other words, is the substance of in the same way that Christ is the is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of the substance of God. Okay? So therein is where we have this word's objective definition. There is substance in faith. Faith is not just some nebulous something. Faith is the substance of the things that are hoped for. Okay? Now we're going to make that connection because this connection is already back to Christ. He's used this word specifically to communicate who Christ is. He's the substance, the imprint of the substance of God. Now look, if you would, in chapter 3 and look at verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our hypostasis firm to the end. If we hold that substance firm to the end. Our translation says original confidence firm to the end. Confidence in who? The substance who? Well, all of this comes about, we see, from that clause before that says, for we come to share in Christ. That is, we have a part of Him. We are in Him. He is in us. Share how? Well, we have already heard that He was made like His brothers, so He has come to be made like us that we may share in Him and we know that He is the imprint of the substance of God. And so as we look here, if we hold on to that substance firm to the end. Does that make it a connection there? So faith is not something that is nebulous, not just out there. No, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And because faith is substantial in that way, undergirding foundation for that hope, then we have assurance in those things which are hoped for. What are the things that are hoped for? The point in faith here in this text, which I think sometimes we have a tendency to go back and not see it in its context, is that we begin to think of Faith in things that we want. That is not the purpose of the definition here in this text. The purpose of the definition in this text is given by the Holy Spirit is to help the believers, to help you and me come to understand what it means to have faith and why that faith as it is weighed out in the course of, in the course of culture needs to be something that we hold on to and that we don't waver and that we don't prostitute and that we don't abdicate our responsibilities in the course of this faith because it is substantial to the things that are hoped for. What things? 
Well, the things that are hoped for are the things that God has promised. That is the point of the author. That God has made certain promises. Promises that are connected with the new covenant. Promises that flow out of the new covenant. Promises that only happen because Christ has come and has represented his brothers and has died and has atoned for sin and has resurrected. Promises like what? Well, we looked at some of them last week in a litany of things. One is forgiveness of sin. We saw in chapter 8 and verse 12 that we are promised the forgiveness of sin. Not just, and the forgiveness is huge here because we are promised that the sin is forgiven and removed. In other words, not attached to us anymore. Why? Because that sin was placed upon Christ. And Christ atoned for that sin. And in atoning for that sin, that sin and everything to do with that sin regarding its judgment was removed from us. We read last week, the Psalm 103, removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Perfected conscience. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In other words, we are promised that we are not condemned. But not only are we promised that we are not condemned, we are promised a perfected conscience because we are not condemned. Therefore, we do not have to live and should not live with the weight of guilt because that guilt of sin, the weight of that guilt has been removed. Are we guilty of sin? Yes. Christ took that and died for it, therefore, our consciences are perfected in that. And that is the reason why when we get to Romans chapter 8, when the accuser comes before God to seek to accuse us of that, he is stamped out. Turn over to Romans chapter 8 just a moment. Look, chapter, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son gave him up for us all. How will we also not with him? Who gave... Let me back back up. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's presupposing that we would be accused by someone, the great accuser, before God regarding our sin in the same way that Job had the accuser go before God and accuse him. And the answer to that is, is that no one can accuse us. Why? 
Because we are not condemned. Why? Because Christ gave His own life for our sin. What about the return of Christ? That is a promise that has been made through the course of this that He's coming again. We saw in verse 37 of chapter 10, yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. The hope and the promise that we have of the return of Christ to that day when all this suffering and all of the struggles will end. We've already sung about it. We'll sing about it again before we leave from here today. It's the reason why every week in some way we point to the return of Christ because it is a promise that is made by God. That is not something that is created in our own mind, but it is a promise that has been made by God. In Titus 2, 13, we hear that. What about our resurrections, the resurrection of the body? We hear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we are promised that our bodies will be raised again and that we are with Him as we see in Romans chapter 6, that we are with Him in the resurrection. What about our glorification? Turn to 1 John, if you will, just a moment. Turn to 1 John. Look in chapter 3. Beginning in verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. What about our ongoing reign? We have already looked at that in Hebrews but our reign with Him. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. Let's back back up in verse 11. The saying is trustworthy. If we have died with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we endure, he will also, we will also reign with Him. Of course, if we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. The point is, is that we will reign with Him. These are the promises and the hope that is being referred to by the Holy Spirit as He gives this word of saying that faith is the substance of those things that are hoped for. In other words, these are foundational for our hope because this hope is built on the promises of the one who is the substance, the imprint of the substance of God. So here's why faith, biblical faith, is not based on feeling. Okay? It's not based on feeling. It's not even based on a, a, an attitude that somehow or another that we are told in our culture. And, and I, I've been inundated with this. You have too, and you will be if you talk to anyone at all about the gospel. That there is faith that's out here, and there is reason, and there is science over here. And we can depend on reason and science. In other words, we can depend on rational thinking and we can depend on observation and science. We can depend on those. Faith is something out here that is apart from that. And when we look at biblical faith, that is not at all what we see. 
what we see is, is that we observe what God has said and has done in science. We think rationally because God has made us rational beings and that which is rational we can hold on to. And then faith takes us where observation and rationality will not take us. It takes us to the source of the one that has created all things, which I find interesting. If you'll turn back over there to Hebrews, I've been working through this text and I cannot get away from this. When we come back over here and we hear in verse 3, and by faith we understand, and we're going to look at this in more detail next week, but by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. In other words, faith takes us to where science cannot take us. We can only observe in part. And what rational thinking will not take us, where it will not take us, it takes us to God. So faith is not separate from those. In fact, faith rests upon those. And if you will, if we look at the word hypostasis, faith comes under that foundationally to support that which we observe and that which is rational in our thinking. Because when we get to things that are irrational, we can rest assured that those things are not a part of who God is and not a part of God because God is the ultimate rationale. He is the ultimate rational being because in His wisdom, He has created all things. And faith gives us understanding to that. And it is certainly not Faith is certainly not just positive thinking about things. Most of you will not remember uh, Norman Vincent Peale. Some of you will remember his name. Uh, He was the Messiah of positive thinking. He called it faith. Nothing about it squared with biblical faith and scripture. It was just if you... If you think positively enough, then the things that you think about will happen. Not too far from what we hear from a lot of our prosperity gospel preachers and not too far from what we hear from most of the preachers who stand up and preach moralistic messages because it's all about you seeking to do better so that tomorrow will be a better day. Eternity will be better. Tomorrow may not be better. You may not be well tomorrow. In fact, you may find that you are sick tomorrow. You may not be better tomorrow. You may find that you are broke tomorrow. You may not be better tomorrow. You may find that you are broken tomorrow in regards to a relationship. But eternity will be better and best. Why? Because God has promised that. He has not promised the other things. Then we read that not just that faith is the substance of things hoped for, 
the assurance of things hoped for, but we read that faith is the evidence, the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. Y'all will relate to this. The word translated evidence or conviction is the same word from which the idea of title deed comes. How many of you know what a title deed is? If you've ever owned a vehicle or piece of property, you will know what a title deed is. What is it? Well, it's a legal document that states the description of the property that is owned. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. And you may know someone. I I know of folks. Someone who owns something, holds a title deed, and they've never seen what they own. But they hold the title deed to it with this description, but they have never stepped foot on the piece of property. They have never looked at that automobile. They have never seen what it is that they hold the title deed on, but they hold that title deed, which means what? It's theirs. They own it. They haven't seen it. They can read the description of it, but they haven't stepped foot on it. They haven't seen it. It's done all the time. Does that person have confidence? Does that person have evidence in the fact that he or she owns what is described on the title deed? Well, that deed states it. That deed states it. They do. Why? Well, the title deed has been vetted. In some ways, it's been secured. In some ways, and in some cases, it's even been insured by someone who has vetted it and says it is what it is. How many of you have ever purchased a piece of property and had to, uh, through the course of that, uh, had to get title insurance? Most folks who have purchased things have had to have title insurance. Why? Well, it is to ensure that the title that you have And that description on it is what it says it is in its entirety. Don't you find it interesting that the Holy Spirit used that picture for us to explain to us, to help us to understand what faith is. Faith is the title deed, if you will. It is the evidence of things not seen. It is the title deed for that which you cannot see. I can't see heaven, but I'm promised heaven. But I have a title deed. That title deed is the faith that God has given me to know. I want you to get this. To know that that which He has said in His promises are true and it is there. I want you to know that faith's not on blind trust. Turn over to 2 Peter, if you will. Let's see if I can find that. Oh yeah, verse 16, 2 Peter chapter 1. We could go other places. We could go to 1 John chapter 1. But I want you to hear this. Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. 
when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? What did we follow? He said, listen to this, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They didn't believe in a myth. They didn't believe in a figment of somebody's imagination. They didn't believe in just some story. No, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son. Now Peter's making this statement because Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration, if you remember. And he heard that voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son. And the next words that he heard was, and listen to him. That's what he heard. And listen to him. He said, we were eyewitnesses of this. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have prophetic word more fully conformed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy has ever produced, been produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The point is, is that it is not blind. There is this title deed... God's Word and promises, and He gives us faith. That faith is our title deed in believing and knowing that, which leads to, back up, if you will, to verse 3, to a fundamental understanding, and we're going to stop here. We'll pick back up here next week. To a fundamental understanding that the universe was created by the Word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That's huge to our knowing what faith is. Is because faith is the foundation for the things that are hoped for because they are made by the promises of God. They are God's word and his promises. Faith is the title deed for us in believing what we have not seen. And faith brings the understanding first and foremost of something that is fundamental. That once that is established, nothing else is hard to figure out from there. And that is, is that everything that was created was created by God. From something other than what can be seen, but was created from nothing by His Word. So what is faith? Faith is believing what God says is true. Faith is believing what God says is true. May I rehearse just a moment the things that you have already heard this morning that are true.
I hope you heard them. That God is sovereign. He has created all things. He created every man and every woman. Phoenix is an image bearer of God. Mike is an image bearer of God. And all of us in between are image bearers of God. He has created us for the purpose of glorifying Him and enjoying Him. And in His wisdom and in His providence, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit determined that the best way to bring glory to God was through the sinfulness of humanity and the redemptive work and plan pointing to the grace and the love of God that was shown most of all in and through His Son, Jesus Christ, the great high priest, who would atone for that sin for those who would believe and trust in Him, who would have faith in Him and believe that what He says is true, and to hold to that and the promises that come in the redemptive work of Christ. From the moment of their belief to their dying breath. That's what it means to persevere and that's what it means to preserve the soul. And that, friend, pleases God. To doubt Him is to call Him a liar. To reject Christ is to call God a blatant liar. And to say, I don't need a Savior. Let's pray together. Father, as we sang, as we began this morning, and we declare even now, help us to trust You more, knowing that You are true in all of Your ways and all of Your words. And You have shown us that most of all. In Christ Jesus, amen.